Father, as we continue our worship to you, we confess to you this morning that we are not always where we want to be in our relationship with you. But Father, we've been reminded this morning through the powerful message of these songs that we want to be where you are, that you are more costly than gold. You're more precious to us than silver. And Father, help us in our walk and in our journey with you to follow you and to take up the cross and to be more and more like your son. It's through his name we pray. And all the church said, amen. You can be seated. Well, I was really hoping on that song, if you're happy, you know it. My favorite part is about the devil, and if he doesn't like it, he can set on attack. I was hoping we could do that verse, but maybe, maybe we'll do it next time. Isn't it precious to look up here and see our kids and to see them excited and on fire for God and faith? That is a wonderful thing, and they learn all of that from all of us. And so I pray that we are encouraging our kids and uh, helping them every step of the way to realize what a great thing it is to live in the kingdom of God. Speaking of the kingdom of God, it's perhaps the most important concept in the New Testament. It's a concept that is foundation for almost everything that Jesus said and taught. Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Jesus began his ministry by saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And then in Matthew's gospel, with burning hearts, the disciples come to Jesus and say, we want you to teach us how to pray, and with burning hearts we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? Jesus came to establish his kingdom on earth. He wanted all the things that were talked about and discussed about in the heavenly realms he wanted those things to come right down here on earth and be present with us. Isn't that good? He wanted us to be able to experience what it's like to live and to talk and to breathe in a different world. If there's one thing I want you to take away this morning, it is this. This world is not our home. This world is not our home. We belong to another world. We belong to another kingdom. And that's what I want you to see this morning. I love how Dallas Willard puts it. He says, the kingdom of God has never been in trouble and never will be. It's not something that human beings produce or ultimately can hinder. We do have an invitation to be a part of it. But if we refuse... Now look at this, we only hurt ourselves. Keep that quote up there for just a moment. You see what he says? It's not something that humans produce 
or ultimately it's not even something that humans can hinder. And if we refuse it, we only hurt ourselves. And so with that in mind, I want you to listen to these words in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. Two parables here, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. And Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? And then the next one, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see, Jesus says that the kingdom of God was like yeast hidden in a lump of dough. Now, that in and of itself is nothing, is it? But, but look at what happens. As it's worked into the dough, it caused dramatic change in the nature of the dough and what happens to it. And so the dough cannot resist it. And Jesus said that the kingdom of God is also like a mustard seed, which looks small, which looks very insignificant, which looks like what in the world is this ever going to amount to? And Jesus said, when it plant and when it grows, it becomes a great tree. And he says, that is what the kingdom of God is like. It appears to many to be nothing. It appears to be so small that it would amount to nothing. But it has great power to influence and to change and to grow. And that's what happens when the kingdom of God, when his kingdom comes to live within my heart, when it comes to take up residence in your heart, all the things of God are put right here for us. Have you thought about that? All good things that come from God are now right here within our heart. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. And it continues to grow and to flourish and it really continues to become something great when every day of our life we deny what we want and we are at the mercy of Jesus. And we're allowing him to change us and to shape us and to mold us into the person that he wants us to become. And so when we live in the kingdom of God, it means that we live with an awareness of the kingdom. You see, many Christians live as though the visible world is the only real world. And they seem to have no awareness of anything surrounded by another world in which there's more real. And there's more at stake than what they can see. And so as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, every day of our life we are to fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What you see right here in this world 
can be here today and it can be gone tomorrow. But in the life that we live, what is unseen is eternal. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because I know today, Kathy Ballard, Troy Ashby, Ed Bullard, they're grieving. But on the other hand, they are counting it pure joy that their loved one is in a far better place. Their loved one is in the unseen. They are in the eternal realm right now. And folks, is that not what you and I live for every day? As we live in the kingdom, the promise that we have is that one day we're going to trade this body in for another body. We're going to trade this life in for another life. And so everything that we deal with here on earth is only temporary. It's not going to last. But the things that we do, the conversations that we have, the teachings that we do with other people, they mean a lot because we are living in the kingdom of God and we are trying our best to be a part of something that most people can't see. But in our hearts, we know this place is not where I belong. I'm just here temporarily. But while we're here, we want to make the best impression on other people in the name of Jesus that we can make. Amen? And so we teach others this world is not our home. And we teach others don't hold on to things of this worth, of this world, but look to the eternal. Look to those things that will last. How many of you have seen the movie The Matrix? Raise your hand. In the movie The Matrix, you're taken to the year 2199, okay? And so while you're there, the world has been taken over, and it's being run by artificial intelligence. What you have is these harvested humans that are living in a computer-generated dream world of artificial reality, never understanding that they are captives of an evil empire, and there's still a few people that are still connected enough to reality who discover what they call the matrix. And so what they see is that there are now two worlds. One is evil, and it depends on control and deception, and it's the unreal world. And the other is the real world, even though it would not be seen as such by those who are caught up in the matrix. And there's, there's this great deal of religious symbolism being played on here in the film, and it picks up on this biblical theme of, about the kingdom of God and its opposition to the kingdom of evil, to the kingdom of the world. And so in the movie, Morpheus tries to explain the matrix, and he says this to Neo. He says, have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? I mean, and he goes on to say, what if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? And in the same way, we live in the real world 
while so many around us are living in a world of deception. They're living in a world of control. And so unable to wake from that dream, they only know what they see. They never know anything different. Now, this is where Christianity comes into play, okay? Our responsibility as Christians is this, to never forget which is the real world and which is the fantasy world. That's our responsibility every day of life. And then, while we are also responsible for rescuing as many as possible of those who are trapped in the matrix. There's a lot of folks in our world today that are trapped. You know what I'm saying? They have no idea who they belong to. They're just living life. What about us? Jesus says, as you live in the world, I want you to have an understanding that you live with something else in mind. That you live with something far greater in view. And that is, you don't belong in this world. You belong in the world where Jesus is. And every day of our life, you and I are called to give our allegiance and our lordship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as we do that, we show the world that we belong to a different kingdom. You see, we live in parallel kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And the reality is that we're in one or the other. We can't be in between. But I want to be, because I want all these things that God has to offer, and at the same time, I still want to play like the world plays. And you know what Jesus says about that? You're either in the kingdom or you're not. You're either in my kingdom or you're in the kingdom of the world. But you cannot have both. You cannot play on both sides of the fence. And so it's important to live with an awareness of the kingdom, but also kingdom living means we recognize that the kingdom of God is within. You see, the people of Jesus' day kept looking for the kingdom of God to come in some outward, visible display of overwhelming power. And they thought that there would be an overthrow of the foreign oppressors who occupied Israel and this new age of peace. But here's what happens. Everyone would see it. It would be unavoidable. You see, Jesus' concept of the kingdom was a complete reversal of the thinking of nearly everyone in Israel. If you just look at the Sermon on the Mount in and of itself... That teaching right there is upside-down way of thinking to our world today. But that's the teaching that Jesus says you are to embrace. Here's what you are to be like. Here's what you are to live like in my kingdom. And so 
Here's the way it's described. It's an right-side-up kingdom in an upside-down world. You see, Jesus' kingdom was an interior kingdom, a kingdom of the heart. If you stop and think about it, Jesus never sat on a king's throne, and he rules the world today in ways that most kings never dreamed. He rules the world by winning and ruling the hearts of people. He's reigned over more people than any king who's ever lived or ever will live. But the problem for many is that it's an invisible kingdom and it doesn't have power and prestige. And so they just don't want to think about it. They don't want to be a part of something like that. And yet what we begin to realize is that God's reign is happening without many people even noticing. Church, I'm telling you, God is at work in mighty ways in this world. And what he is asking us to do is to join him in his work. Join him in the work that's already taking place. Have you thought about that? All this work that's being done, God's in control of it. And he's asking us to join him in that effort. And so look over at Luke chapter 17. And look at how he says this about the coming of the kingdom of God. Once, having been asked in verse 20 by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, here's what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Now look at this. Say this with me. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Read that again. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Church, where is the kingdom of God? It is right here in my heart. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves each and every day, who has my heart? Who does my heart belong to? Does it belong to one of these little kingdoms that we build for ourselves? And boy, we can build some good kingdoms, can't we? And we think they're just mighty and that nothing can destroy them. And that kingdom can look like whatever you want it to look like. But I'm going to tell you, it will never compare to the kingdom of God. And so, Here's what God does. One by one, one person at a time, God wins people over with their heart. And as he wins people over with their heart, his kingdom continues to flourish. His his kingdom continues to grow one person at a time. And that's where we experience the kingdom of God and its power from within that's where Christ sets up his throne and that's a spiritual kingdom that will conquer every military and political kingdom that this world could ever throw at us God reigns right here in my heart 
Who has your heart? Who do you give your heart to today? C.S. Lewis has written it this way. He says the real son of God is at your side. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you. Beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. And I like this next part. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. You see that? He's taken all these things, all the thoughts that God has, he's planting them right here in our heart. And so every day of life, we have a decision to make. With everything we look at, we look at it in the realm, is this from God? Or is this just another thing that Satan is throwing my direction from the world? It may look good, but if it's from the kingdom of the world, it'll never last. But if it's something coming from the kingdom of God, you're going to know it because it's going to be good and it's going to be loving and it's going to be peaceful and it's going to bring joy to our hearts each and every day. So, as we live in the kingdom, here's an amazing thing that takes place. We experience the blessing of his reign. Because that's what kingdom really means. The rule and the reign of God that has come down from heaven that's landed right here in my heart. We need more of God's reign and his rule right here, don't we? In our conversations, in our lives, everywhere we go, we need more of God right here in our heart. But you know what? Here's what we do. As powerful as God's blessing is, sometimes we stand in resistance to his blessing. I'm going to illustrate it this way. Dallas Willard tells a story of when the REA, that's the Rural Electrification Administration, extended the electrical lines to his home in Missouri. And obviously this was many years ago. But here's what he says. He says, when those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. And so, in effect, here's what those farmers heard. Repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent, or turn from their kerosene lamps and lanterns, their iceboxes and cellars, their scrub boards, and rug beaters. And he said an amazing thing took place. He says all this power was now inside their homes to make life better. And if they would accept it, it'd be great. 
But he said the amazing thing is so many people said, no, I like it the way I have it. Now I know that stands pretty foreign to most of us in this room. Not some of you, but some, it does. But think about it. The blessing was waiting for them to enjoy. But they weren't taking advantage of it. And so in the same way, listen to this, the kingdom of God is waiting for us to enjoy it. The kingdom of God is here for us to enjoy the blessings that flow from God into our hearts and then those blessings from our heart need to flow out into the lives of other people. Just like God did with Abraham. He blessed him to be a blessing to other people. And so look at that way this morning. You and I are here blessed by God to just be a blessing to somebody else. And so, again, as we are a part of the kingdom, may we always remember that we live in a parallel kingdom with the kingdom of evil. And those kingdoms will always be in conflict. But, as we engage battle, Paul reminds us, you do it in a different way. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Our weapons are faith and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so here's what happens. As God changes us, He changes the world. As things begin to change within us, they also begin to change around us. We begin to influence the world and win others to the kingdom, one person at a time. And so in the meantime, here's what we do. We live expectantly. We live expecting God to come back for us through his son Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I wake up every day knowing that, it makes today worth living. And it makes tomorrow worth living knowing that one day Jesus is coming back for me. He's coming back for you. And what we want to do is to go out of this place and tell others in the world that Jesus is coming back for them and help them begin to understand what that looks like. And so we are to quietly and faithfully work until his kingdom comes and his will is done here on earth just like it is in heaven. Our eyes are fixed on eternity. Our eyes stay fixed on a God who reigns forevermore. That's good news. That's news that we need to hear over and over and over again.
that we're members of a kingdom that is not of this world. And you know what, folks? Here's the deal. God is not discouraged. He's full of joy, and he's given that joy to us. And as we sang this morning, if you're happy and you know it, let your face show it. Can we do that? Let our face show that we believe that God reigns yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the church said, man, let's stand and sing.